You're listening to Cannabis Health Radio. Here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Yelland. Project CBD is a go-to website for those wanting to educate themselves about cannabidiol and cannabis generally. Joining us today is Martin Lee, the co-founder and director of Project CBD. He's a journalist and author who has published a number of works, including Smoke Signals, A Social History of Marijuana, Medical, Recreational, and Scientific. And in 1994, he was awarded the Pope Foundation Award for Investigative Journalism. Martin Lee joins us from California. Martin, good of you to do this. Thanks very much. My pleasure. Now, with your background in journalism, how did that morph into co-founding Project CBD? Well, actually, Project CBD grew out of um, efforts I was undertaking to write a book about the medical marijuana situation, particularly in California, uh, but not just California. Uh, I was struck by the fact that even though Californians had passed the law in 1996 legalizing cannabis for therapeutic use uh, with the guidance of a physician, um, that still people were being uh, arrested. Um, Sometimes patients were being treated, uh, to be quite blunt about it, very brutally by police. And we were getting reports about this. Um, But they weren't making their way into the mainstream media. Occasionally, you'd hear about a raid that would be very dramatic. It would be reported in California. Sometimes it would make national news. Uh, This was during the Bush presidency. But we were hearing a lot of incidents that weren't getting any attention. And these were happening not in the uh, sort of obvious places of interest in medical marijuana, places like the Bay Area and Los Angeles and, and Santa Cruz. Uh, these other incidents were happening in how I would describe it as the red state portion of California. In the United States, we f- refer to red states as Republican states. Well, a big part of California is very rural, and many of the counties in the rural parts of California didn't vote for Proposition 215, the, the ballot measure that uh, ultimately legalized medical marijuana. Uh, so that's what drew my interest as a journalist. Why was this still happening? When the law was such that uh, people in California with the proper credentials could legally use cannabis for therapeutic use. And and yet this was going on. And that's what drew me in. Uh, And some of these incidents were really very brutal and and harrowing, I would call it. Um, But uh, in the process of investigating these, it it really opened up a whole new world for me, the, the world of the science behind medical marijuana. And that was something I knew very little about at that time as a, as a journalist. And it, and it kind of drew me in and uh, it opened up a whole new path of exploration. And that's really what we focus on now at Project CBD, really the science of cannabis therapeutics and, and translating the science into uh, terms and uh, ideas that can be accessible to many people, not just science uh, scientists. Martin, why did you choose to call it Project CBD and not Project Cannabis? Well, actually, in some ways, Project CBD at this point is a misleading term because we do focus on the whole plant, not just one compound. And we think it's very important to emphasize that cannabis therapeutics is not just a bunch of single molecules. It's, it's about the whole plant and the synergy between the components of the plant and the relationship between 
uh, the plant and the human brain and body. But uh, at the time when we launched Project CBD, which was um, over about seven years ago, at that time, very little was known about CBD or about the CBD-rich cannabis strains, of which only a handful had been rediscovered in the northern California regions where cannabis was being grown, the so-called Emerald Triangle, the the cannabis breadbasket in in California, and I dare say North America. But at that time, the emphasis in the medical marijuana world was on the THC-rich strains, which are very useful for various conditions, uh, but it's not the whole story. And we thought it was very important to emphasize to the medical marijuana community, both the doctors and the patients and the general public and public officials who are making the regulations and the laws around cannabis, that it's not just about THC, that THC is only one component of the plant, a very important one, but it's not the whole story. And yet the ironic part of it is these days, we find ourselves emphasizing to people that CBD is not the only part of the plant. It's not the whole story. And, and so things have kind of reversed because there's been so much attention now and an interest in CBD. All to the good. So that attracts attention. But the phrase Project CBD draws a lot of people in, particularly a lot of newcomers to cannabis therapeutics. Uh, so we're comfortable with that, uh, uh, the name of our organization, but we do have to emphasize it's not just about CBD. When you were talking about how the emphasis is on CBD now, I got this big grin on my face because I can't tell you how many times I have to explain to people, look, it's not just about CBD. However, I think that's interesting what you said about uh, just the name Project CBD and getting newcomers because I think as a newcomer, people who come to you are more open to it with CBD and its reputation of not getting you know, the psychotrophic effects, etc., yeah, for a lot of people, that's a draw, or at least they think that that's important for them. Mm-hmm. Um, we sometimes that when people begin to use what we describe as the CBD-rich strains or products, uh, and, and our you know, overarching guidance from Project CBD, and I want to emphasize we're not physicians and we don't pretend to be, um, but when people ask us for advice about how they can navigate this terrain of all the different products and the different ratios between CBD and THC and so forth, and different ways of taking the products. Um, basically, we say that uh, what you're aiming for is to take as much of a, a CBD-rich product uh, with as much THC in it as possible uh, that makes that you're comfortable with, because some people aren't comfortable with the THC high. Some people think that's something they need to avoid, and they find that when they begin to use the CBD-rich strains and, and, and include incrementally more THC in what they're using, um, they find they it gets to the point that they, uh, they do feel some psychoactivity in that regard, and they like the high. So in some sense, you could say CBD is a gateway to THC, mm. and that's also the good if it helps people. It doesn't have to be the way, but we have to sort of shed the stigmas of, of uh, THC being the bad part of it and this, this uh, misleading idea that CBD is the good part. It's all good. They work best together. We emphasize that CBD and THC are like the power couple of cannabis therapeutics, and they belong together. Uh, and if you use them as isolates, you won't get as positive, uh, as good a results, which is not to say that it can't work for you in some way, but it's a slippery slope, and you're really not getting the most of the pl- from the plant that you can. What are the strains, um, the six strains that you mentioned that are CBD-rich? Now there's quite a few. If we step back and we talk about what kind of cannabis strains are out there uh, for therapeutic use, you know, 
the way people are accustomed to talking about it, there's an indica and there's a sativa. Maybe sometimes people mention something called ruderalis. But the indica and sativa are thought to have certain kinds of property. The indica makes you uh, more sedative, better painkiller, uh, sativa more energizing, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, we feel that this language is really uh, not adequate to describing what's going on. I think a much simpler and more accurate way of talking about it is that there are uh, there are high resin cannabis strains, resin rich, the, the sticky kind. If you, you you touch the bud and. Among these high-resin strains, well, most of what's available in the dispensaries and the black market are the THC-dominant strains, the ones that will get you high, uh, the ones that people enjoy a great deal for that uh, for that reason. And then you also have high-resin cannabis strains that are CBD-dominant with very little THC. These are not hemp strains. These are marijuana strains that might have up to 20% cannabinoids, as we call them, the CBD and the THC. And which would mean that they're quite resin rich, uh, but they're not, uh, they don't get you high like a THC strain would. Um, and then there's also, so you have this THC dominant, the CBD dominant, and you have a third kind, a mixture of both high resin strains, marijuana strains. Uh, and what is marijuana? It's the flower tops of high resin cannabis. Industrial hemp is low resin cannabis. It's not a great source for medicinal use, but it's not impossible. So when we think of these different strains, of CBD cannabis, most people think of things like the Charlotte's Web, or we have in California what we call the ACDC, and a number of other strains, uh, Ringo's Gift, Remedy. You, you, there are different, um, different ways of referring to these strains. But what I think is quite interesting is these mixed strains that have both CBD and THC in it uh, in a significant amount. They may be somewhat psychoactive, they may not be, but they're really very rich in terms of their medicinal potential. And one of the things that, uh, one of the positives for people, when you mix the CBD and the THC together and it's to a significant degree, it allows a person to take higher doses of these very potent oils that have significant therapeutic benefits but might put one off if it's a THC dominant oil without much CBD. It might make them too high. It might make them feel uncomfortable. It might take a lot of getting used to. So that if a CBD was part of that mix, it would mitigate the highs somewhat, maybe neutralize it entirely. And that's an advantage if you need a, a high dose of a cannabis oil remedy. Not everybody needs the high doses, but sometimes they're required. Martin, I was going to ask you about your views on the difference between CBD from hemp and CBD from cannabis. And you mentioned it very briefly. You said CBD from hemp is not medicinal. Did I hear that correctly? No, I wouldn't say that. I would say that the industrial hemp is not an optimal source for extracting CBD for a variety of reasons. We, we've written about this extensively on our website. But the main reason is that you don't get as much CBD from industrial hemp as you would from a CBD-rich marijuana plant. Typically, the kind of industrial hemp that's being used to extract CBD, uh, they use the biomass, it's called. They, they grow the hemp for another reason. They might grow it for fiber. They might grow it for the protein-rich seed oil, which also has very significant therapeutic value, but it, it doesn't have CBD or THC in it. It's just a good oil from the seed. It can be used for many other industrial purposes. If you want to extract CBD from hemp, you have to use a seed oil plant because it tends to be bushier, leafier, 
Um, and that's where the cannabinoids, it's the CBD and a lesser extent with hemp, THC resides. Um, but typically from uh, seed oil and hemp, you'll get a maximum of about 3 or 4% of uh, CBD in there by dry weight. Once you dry it, then extract it. Uh, all the material you use, you get about 3 or 4%. It actually ends up being CBD. You compare that to a, an ACDC strain, a marijuana CBD-rich strain, um, where you get 20% CBD by dry weight. So when you use the ACDC for extracting, basically you get what you need with one extraction. You get this very rich oil. It might be waxy. You may want to productize it in some way, but you don't need to dilute it. You don't need to uh, extract it, put it through a, a, an elaborate process of, of um, purifying what you have, which is what you need to do when you extract from um, industrial hemp because you have to use so much more plant material to get a little bit of oil. It's not impossible to get a decent quality product from hemp. The problem really comes down to is that CBD from industrial hemp is only one thing. It's just high CBD and very low THC. Even if it's good or decent quality, and a lot of it that's out there is not such good quality, but some of it's passable and some of it can help people. But the problem is, again, that it's just high, B, high CBD, low THC. And more often than not, people will learn that they need something else besides just the high CBD. They need maybe a little more THC, maybe THCA, maybe CBDA. These are the raw versions of the cannabinoids that exist on the plant before they're heated and decarboxylated. Or you might uh, it might come down to the, the, the certain terpenes, the, the compounds that give the plant its smell that a particular terpene combination could do the trick for a person, maybe in combination with the CBD and or the THC. So really the main complaint or criticism uh, that I have of the CBD extracted from hemp um, is that it's just very limited in what it will do therapeutically. Albeit, you know, CBD is uh, quite potent as an individual or single molecule. Um, you, you just need more than that more often than not to do, um, you know, the wonders that you're looking for therapeutically. And I, but I think ultimately the discussion about what's the best source uh, of CBD, is it hemp, is it marijuana, it, this will be a thing of the past because eventually, if not very soon, perhaps even already, Plants will be bred. Strains will be bred. Uh, it will be high-resin high, uh, cannabis strains, meaning marijuana, that will have less than 0.3% THC in it. Uh, and that will then qualify legally as, uh, as hemp. And once that happens, once we have these very rich CBD strains from the cannabis flower tops, the marijuana, with less than 0.3% THC, then at that point, no more. We don't need to discuss it anymore, uh, because it qualifies as as um, hemp. But in fact, really, it's marijuana. And uh, hopefully, that'll be a, those kind of plants will grow well. You know, it's not just a matter of how much THC or CBD. How does the plant grow? Does it grow into a big plant? You know, from the point of view of a producer, you want a plant that's healthy, that's easy to grow, uh, and that produces well. And, and that's an important factor also. Martin, one of the questions we get asked here quite often is about dosage. And you have described dosage as like playing a trombone. I'd be interested in getting your thoughts on dosage. Well, you know, what we're hearing, basically, it's kind of all over the map. And that sometimes low dose of cannabinoids can be very effective therapeutically. And sometimes high doses are required. 
And I think one has to approach this with an open mind. Oftentimes, people use the phrase, you know, start low and go slow, meaning start with low doses and work your way up slowly. Well, if a person's dealing with a serious cancer, maybe that's not the best approach. Maybe you need a little bit more to start with. You know, uh, if you're dealing with a depressive uh, condition of cl- clinical depression, well, maybe you don't want to go real high on the dose or high THC. Maybe you want to get a very small dose of a CBD rich product. And again, with just the touch of THC, and maybe that will do the trick. And if it doesn't, um, you've got to um, uh, adapt. You've got to experiment. You ultimately what patients really need is a, a wide array of choices of good quality medicine uh, that's carefully measured with the proper labeling uh, that indicates what's in there um, and that's easy to use so that a person if if they're going to start low and go slow if that's their doctor's advice or their healer's advice um, they, they know what they're working with and and if they reach a point that it, it, it's working for them they could stop right there maybe maybe it turns out that they a Charlotte's Web type of CBD dominant strain with a very little CBD is not going to do the trick because that's more like a 20 to 1 ratio, let's say, of CBD to THC, where if you had more THC, if it was, let's say, a 4 to 1 ratio of CBD to THC, or maybe the opposite, maybe a 1 to 4 ratio, maybe more THC, maybe that's what really does the best for that particular individual in terms of killing pain or dealing whatever they're struggling with. And I, I think we have to give ourselves the time and the space to experiment. And if we do, I think the, reco- the rewards can be very, very rich. So when I use that metaphor of a, a trombonist, you imagine a, a person with a slide trombone. They, they push it out more, that's a little more CBD. They pull it in more, a little more THC, until they find exactly the right note that works for them. Fortunately, cannabis is a very, very safe medicine. It's what a lot of doctors do with pharmaceuticals. They try different things. They might try eight or ten pharmaceuticals before, it might be before they throw in the towel on pharmaceuticals. (laughs) Cannabis, at least, you know it's safe and it's not going to harm you. These pharmaceuticals oftentimes are are so devastating, the side effects, then you need more pharmaceuticals to deal with the side effects, and it becomes this vicious circle of toxicity. Uh, Whereas cannabis, you can at least be assured that if it doesn't work, at least not right away, at least it's not going to harm. And it can be made to work, but one has to have a variety of tools available. One of the people that we've interviewed on this program, I thought, said it brilliantly. When taking cannabis, it's a bit of a dance. You you have to find out what works for you, and it, what works for you may not work for someone else, because we're all different. Uh, that's correct. And not only that, but what works for you now at this time in your life at this point of your uh, struggling with a particular illness, may not work for you later. (laughs) What works for you in the morning might not work best in the evening. Mm -hmm. So one has to be, uh, you know, open-minded and flexible about this. Uh, Very typically, we hear from people in California, um, oh, yes, during the day, they want to be a little more energetic, a little more alert. So they they opt for a, a remedy that it's more CBD than THC. But in the evening... When they want to have a good night's sleep, they don't reach for the, uh, for the CBD. They want a, a THC-dominant remedy. It's much more helpful for sleep. So to be able to adjust and, and to move throughout the day using what you need uh, is very appropriate. But I do think you know, cannabis is it's like a partner. It's like being in a relationship. And sometimes people use it a lot for a very positive effect. And sometimes people step back and use it less in their life and maybe take a break from it. And maybe that's appropriate. And maybe that's a good thing to kind of set the reset button, come back fresh, 
Uh, maybe you'll come back uh, needing then a lower dose to get very positive effects. So uh, it, it, it's very much as you said it. it it's, it's a dynamic relationship. It's not like one thing here. You take these pills, this amount, and that's it. It might be simpler and easier if it works that way, but it's not generally how it works. Although having said that, sometimes, you know, all it takes is one encounter with cannabis and a person can be blown away in newbie uh, of how positive the effects are. Uh, the first try, they get you know, hit the nail right on the head, so to speak. So, you know, it, it can go anyway. We just have to be open-minded and willing to re-examine our own assumptions as we proceed in this path. I think being very open-minded is key. Martin, there are various extraction methods employed by people around the world. What's your view on some of them? Well, I think you want to avoid extraction methods that leave uh, potentially leave um, toxic residue. Uh, some of the solvents used to extract cannabis and make oil can be very dangerous if, if one is exposed to them. And I think those should be banned from use. That said, I, I think there's really uh, I mean, there's a number of ways to do it. If, if you're doing a kind of a mom and pop or just a, a, at your home, there's various ways. If you don't have to produce a large amount, you can use olive oil to extract ethanol, if you're a high-grade alcohol, uh, various different mediums for uh, solvents, so-called, to extract healthy solvents. Then there's also the supercritical CO2, uh, which requires um, it's a very good way of extracting cannabis oil because uh, you, you don't leave a toxic residue. Uh, you, you, it, you're using carbon dioxide, both cooled and, and uh, heated. Uh, so it doesn't leave a residue. Uh, but the, and there's plus and minuses for all these different techniques. For the large-scale production that's going on in Northern California, and it is large-scale, I have to say at this point, um, supercritical CO2 and an ethanol extractions tend to be the ones that are most dominantly used. And then you uh, widely use, oh, of course, there's also butane and so forth. But that's where you get into some potentially difficult um, solvent residues. So I lean toward uh, the supercritical CO2 and, and the ethanol. With the supercritical CO2, the challenge is how to maintain the terpene content, the compounds in the plant that give it its smell, that have very significant medicinal properties as well. You can lose some of that uh, with the supercritical CO2 extraction process where you tend to retain it better. Uh, with uh, ethanol, the, the, the terpenes. Then there's other ways you can, if, if you're using the supercritical uh, extraction equipment, there's other ways you can do it to do to retain more of the terpenes. So it, it, this is also a work in progress. There's a lot of emphasis on terpenes now because I think people have a sense of uh, not that we've been there, done that with the CBD and THC and the cannabinoid part of the plant, uh, but that the terpenes and the specificity of the terpenes with respect to what really works for an individual or a, a specific condition, that that's sort of the next wave on the horizon that people are exploring for medicinal production and, and for use. And I think the combination of uh, the CBD and the THC, that's the main cannabinoids we can play with now, and the terpene constellations, that's really uh, the trick to, to find a combination, uh, uh, both the terpenes and the cannabinoids that, that work best for people. Martin, I appreciate that uh, everybody reacts differently to taking cannabinoids, but I'm wondering, generally speaking, what you're seeing working best for people with Parkinson's disease. 
Parkinson's is a real tough one, I have to say. Uh, but just in, if I may make one comment on, uh, in your point here. You know, yes, everyone is different, but there's something paradoxical about, about cannabis in a way. In, in many ways, it's a paradoxical plan. And cannabis therapeutics um, kind of embody, embodies paradox in that, yes, there are certain conditions that require certain things. But when you're dealing with something like an autoimmune condition, which encompasses so many different diseases, autoimmune diseases, right? I mean, you're talking diabetes and MS and so many, so many different diseases are you can consider autoimmune conditions where your body is reacting again, your immune system is reacting or overreacting improperly so to something in the body that it shouldn't be overreacting to. Well, you know, frankly, for someone dealing with any autoimmune condition, probably any Good old weed, marijuana strain, THC dominant is going to help them because THC binds to one of the cannabinoid receptors, it's called CB2, that regulates immune function, that dials it back, that that can temper an overactive immune system, uh, can uh, lessen inflammation, lessen pain. THC does that by binding to this receptor. And we know that it's been very well documented in animal studies, even in clinical studies. So any cannabis that's high THC, theoretically at least, should help anybody with an autoimmune disease. So that's very unspecific on the one hand. On the other hand, you can get very specific. And for some people, their condition is helped most by a certain strain or a certain terpene constellation, so a certain ratio and so forth. With Parkinson's, it's really, really difficult. It, uh, that, that's a difficult disease. And, you know, we've just written about it on the Project CBD website. But the the, uh, the cannabinoid that really comes up strongest for Parkinson's is, is called THCV. It's a particular cannabinoid. It's not one of the major ones. But now, in, 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 at least in Northern California, I know we have a couple of strains that are THCV rich. And there will be products with THCV oil in them. And that is going to really open up. Great new possibilities with respect to metabolic disorders like diabetes and obesity. Um, THCV really comes up strong for those. Also for heart conditions, for liver conditions, and for, for certain neurological disorders, particularly like Parkinson's. It's for some reason that oh, we can get into the nitty-gritty. The, the THCV you know, hits the right receptors in the right way, <laughs> a little differently than THC and CBD. But that can really be very helpful for people. And, and I think a really um, a great uh, possibility in the future will be a combination of THCV and CBD. Maybe you can imagine a one-to-one relationship between those two cannabinoids. That, that, that can really be a, um, a game changer for, for people with some conditions that aren't so easily treatable with um, cannabis therapeutics. I'm thinking, again, of cardiovascular and liver diseases in particular. Martin, how has your knowledge of cannabis advanced, say, in the last uh, number of years since you started Project CBD? When I first got into the whole area of writing about cannabis and and, and being involved in the medical marijuana world, I didn't know much about the science. And what what has really advanced most for me is a, a knowledge of what's happening in the scientific community, which is focused really on animal studies still. There isn't that much clinical research. But to the extent that there is clinical research involving actual human subjects, of course, we want to um, be aware as much as uh, possible about what's going on. So, uh, 
So I think in the area of cannabis science and therapeutics, it, it's, in a, it's, it's, it's exploding, really. It, it, it's, it's such a fascinating area, both intellectually, but practically and pragmatically. And, and what really is, I find most exciting and most challenging now is um, uh, trying to sort of pool all the information together in a way that can help people. Uh, and we can share what the scientists and the doctors are learning with people so they can um, you know, benefit from this remarkable plan. In some ways, we're just scratching the surface. Martin, I was reading a story today out of New Zealand in which uh, a scientist, actually a doctor, was encouraging the media not to call this drug that's out there synthetic cannabis that is causing so much havoc worldwide. And do you have any views on, uh, on synthetic cannabis? Um, I agree with the comment from the New Zealand doctor. It really isn't cannabis. Um, cannabis is a whole plant. It's an herb. Um, cannabis is more in common with milk thistle and you know golden seal than it does to these isolated molecules that have been developed in laboratories by scientists to actually study you know what happens with the molecules and the receptors and um, you know they go by the name spice and other things. What they are is basically um, Synthetic uh, molecules created in a lab uh, that will hit what uh, basically they hit the CB1 receptor, the cannabinoid receptor in the brain. They do nothing else. Uh, THC doesn't do that. THC hits the CB1, CB2, and many other pathways, molecular pathways in the body. CBD and THC work through. Uh, they aren't just aiming at this one receptor in the brain. It happens to be the brain that gets you high when it's activated. So these so-called synthetic cannabis products uh, are, are psychoactive and potentially dangerous. They interact with these receptors in a very different way than this, the THC does and uh, our own endogenous cannabinoids, our marijuana-like molecules that the brain itself creates uh, interacts with these receptors in a very different way from these souped-up synthetic uh, molecules, the so-called uh, synthetic cannabis. So I, I, I agree. I don't think it should be called synthetic cannabis. It should just be called you know, street drugs, dangerous street drugs that if we had a society that uh, had a sensible relationship with cannabis, these things wouldn't even exist. These synthetic compounds only exist because they sort of skirt the loopholes of the law uh, they're not. Some of them aren't even yet identified by the drug establishment, and and they, um, you know, they get out there on the street, and eventually they might be made illegal, but they might quasi illegal, or they're sell, sold in, in, in smoke shops, head shops, and so forth. This kind of situation wouldn't flourish at all. It wouldn't catch hold if it was easy and legal to access cannabis throughout the country, throughout the world. Uh, the, the, these other compounds wouldn't have a chance because no one would reach for them because they're not they're not like cannabis which to the extent that it's going to get you high it's going to be a pleasant high most often it's not going to be one of these things that make you feel like you're almost psychotic martin it was uh, great of you to do this we appreciate it give a plug for your website oh of course well projectcbd.org um it's a uh, a really, I, I think, an important platform for information about cannabis, science, and therapeutics, and otherwise political economy and the culture and so forth. We deal with the whole plant and its many manifestations, but the focus is on cannabis, science, and therapeutics. Uh, we look at individual conditions, but when we're, we're constantly updating it. We invite everybody to check it out. You can subscribe to a, a free uh, newsletter. 
And you can stay in tune with um, the different events that we're involved with Project CBD. It's not just a platform. We're, we're part of a community. We're engaged in a lot of speaking opportunities all around the world. We look forward to coming back to Canada. And we do appreciate being on Cannabis Health Radio. And just a reminder to listeners, the website is projectcbd.org. Wealth of information from Martin Lee, co-founder of Project CBD. Wherever you are in the world, thanks very much for listening. You've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio podcast. Visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to PodConnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Tune into a major journey podcast today, where guests take listeners on journeys and immerse themselves in the roller coaster ride both in and out of the cannabis space that brought them to where they are today. Throughout our conversations, guests share valuable lessons that they've learned along the way that listeners can use to empower growth both in their personal and professional lives. Check out a major journey today on all major podcast platforms.